be one journalist of the year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat, and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by Maz Kanata's Watering Hole. Yes, from one side of the galaxy to another, the diminutive retired pirate with giant glasses and bright orange skin is known for her wise words, her flirtation with Wookiees, her exotic clientele, and her literally inexplicable possession of long-lost family heirlooms. <laughs> Just remember not to stare. At <laughs> located in the islands of Takodana, Maz Kanata's castle is... Wait, wait, I'm just being told that Maz Kanata's watering hole is now closed for unscheduled maintenance. <laughs> oh, boy, I'll say. I am Jim Garrity, and welcome to the first 2016 edition of the Jim and Mickey Show. Mickey, how are you this fine new year? I am great. Thanks for asking. So happy to be back. Welcome back to our listeners, and hello to Big Dave Perkins, hey our producer as well. Happy post-holidays to both of you. Yeah, you know, it's kind of the time of year that's... Like, in my mind, right up there with, like, the worst time of the year, usually. <laughs> um, holidays are over. It's still cold. Everything sucks. And then my Steelers made the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's suddenly, what makes it the really worst time of year, Mickey. Yeah, yeah, so suddenly, you know, I wake up and, and there was, you know, birds were singing, sun oh. shining. For every and there yin, was though, other team. For every yin, there there's a yin. There was another team that had to lose <laughs> in order for that to happen. Mickey, I will point out to you, and, and you know, people who are following us on Twitter would know yeah. that I was saying the top six teams should make the playoffs, regardless of where they are in their division of conference. You did, and I think that's that very the Jets case. Jets be in, and the Texans would not be. So yes, I felt that was. I, I again, I, I I felt that was very. <laughs> Very kind of you, um, considering your number one concern was getting the Jets in. Um, but as you know, we all know, I, I, I only get to enjoy this for a couple days, so I need to like take full advantage of it because God only knows what's going to happen during the game. Um, but when they made the playoffs, I will tell you, there was a part of me that was like, yay! And then there was a part of me that was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to sit through this again next week. Because every <laughs> single game is so painful to watch <laughs> that this particular game required more fireball than than you really should consume in order to get through it. Now, as a fan, like once your team is knocked out, do you how how intensely do you watch the rest of the playoffs? Oh, just I, I would I I was about to say just as intensely, but I watch them just as closely mm. without as much care. I was going to say, because yeah, I, I never stop watching. There are years I will, I will probably catch one of the games this weekend, maybe two. Um, part of it is a time commitment issue. Um, part of it is a watching at home versus going out to the bar to uh, uh, right. watch with my sons and stuff like that. But it just kind of strikes me as, look, you know, the, I, there's only so much emotional investment. And if I'm not emotionally invested, I'll check back in on the Super Bowl. And I'm sure there's some folks who say, ah, you're not a real fan. But no, I'm a fan of my team. I, I'm you're not a fan of your team, and your team just got booted from the playoffs. There's, there's also that, like, you need almost a week of grieving to even discuss football when that happens. 
And and I get that because, like I said, it's not like I haven't been there before. I'm a Steelers fan, for God's sake. We have been through the mud of every possible scenario um, over the years that I have been a fan. So I get that. But um, for me, one year, you know, obviously Steelers fans, but my friends, I, I pretty much only hang out with Steelers fans and uh, Giants fans, as it turns out. Um, yeah, it's really weird. The majority of my friends are Steelers or Giants fans. I have one friend, Melvin, who I adore and love, like a brother to me. Man can't choose a team. I can't stop mocking him. <laughs> um, he was originally an Oilers fan because he grew up in Texas. And then, of course, they switched on him, right? His sister um, and friend of mine was a Redskinette. So he became a Redskin fan whenever she was cheering there. And then he moved up this way. And then, of course, you know, now the, then there was the, the Titans move to the Texans thing. And then now he's got three. And I, every year I'm like, you have to decide before the season starts. Because he's like, no, I have this, like, I, in his mind, he has three chances to make it to the Super Bowl. So my next kind of thought here, you know, now that we have this, uh, we, we have the playoffs set. Um, there's a... Uh, you know that that certain we we have our rankings. Certain teams will be off. Like some folks have to survive the the wild card round. Um, what matchup in the Super Bowl intrigues you? But let's just assume that your your ultimate dream is the Steelers win the Super Bowl. Obviously. Yeah. So let's say Steelers versus anybody is going to be your your best scenario. There um, is no best scenario. I feel like these are always trap questions for Steelers fans. Because they say things like, oh, well, which side would you like to go up? I don't know. Do you want to face Peyton Manning or do you want to face Tom Brady at the end? These are your options. Yeah. I mean, um, you, you know, you're in the AFC. Yeah. You, this oh, is what's going to happen. Like, yeah. one of two things will happen. We will either have to play Tom Brady or Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like we are capable of beating both oh, you teams know what? if we showed up. But the problem is the likelihood of that is very slim. Yeah, I'm looking at this now and realizing because you guys are the sixth seed, you are guaranteed to play the Broncos if you win. Yes. Because the Broncos play the, the lowest yeah, seed. Yeah, yeah, the line that we go up, but either way we would still end up having to play, right? You know, Brady is not looking like Superman this year, I'm sorry to say. Well, I'm, his I'm, O-line isn't, and that's why he isn't. Yeah. Well, because he got roughed up by the Jets. You're yeah. welcome. <laughs> You're uh, welcome. Nice. Yeah, no, like the O-line really played horribly. So that's, I mean, let's face it, that's encouraging for everyone in the whole world. Um, yeah, um, everyone's very happy the O-line's playing poorly and then the, the, the Patriots are struggling, kind of limping <laughs> into the playoffs. That, that hurts no one's feelings. And I don't count Patriots fans because, well, let's face it, they're the only ones who care. If I told you that a broncos Cardinal Super Bowl struck me as the most interesting or exciting or uh, matchup besides losing all of our listeners in the Carolinas. Uh-huh. Um, like, like, would you would you agree? Disagree? I actually think they're still. They're I don't really find good. the Cardinals all that interesting to watch, even though they are um, like the Steelers West. Um, yeah. I, I would rather see Seattle in there, even though I'm not a real big fan of Seattle, but I do like the way they play. I was going to um, say Seattle is turning into my NFC team. Gotcha. Gotcha. Do you have like so? Are the Giants your NFC? Team? Do you find yourself having that other team in the other conference just for rooting variety? No, I am a Steelers fan. However, I will cheer for other people's teams of the, the people that I like. And okay. like so I've you gotten don't want to see your friend. yeah, 
like, and so that's how the whole Giants thing started, where I ended up watching, like, usually it was a Steeler game and a Giants game in one day, and then I was, like, the most depressed person on the planet. Because if you have to watch two of those games, like, one, a Steeler game is painful. I mean, your liver's not going to like you. It's going to go poorly. And then imagine that you have to watch another one just like it immediately after. Whenever you're watching a Giants game, which looks like, oh, wait, didn't we just see this an hour ago during the Steelers mm-hmm. game? I mean, they're, they're very similar in that the way they're run. They're very similar in their very physical teams. They're very similar in the fact that, well, obviously they've, they've produced Steel Giant children. <laughs> um, Rooney Mara and of course her sister uh, what, what is her sister now? I can't remember her name because it's not Rooney um, but Anne isn't it Anne Mara? Kate Mara? Kate. There you go Kate yes those two right. Who guessed me to be the one who would know that one? Uh, well <laughs> she's a chick so I'll give her that uh, but yeah, no, so like, you know, we've got all this going on with the Giants. So there's, you know, there's a certain amount of respect for that whole, like, we know that the Giants play the same way we do. And we know that the Giants fans feel our pain for real. Mm. I, and so I, I actually, guess they're like our NFC equivalent. Now, as far as like team, I, and again, cheering for them is one thing. They, I will not get heartburn over the Giants. Like that would be ridiculous considering how much pain the Steelers bring me. But, like I said, in looking forward to what's happening and with the AFC and the NFC, AFC, I don't know who the best team in the AFC is right now. And I can honestly say that going into this playoffs, I think it'll be really interesting because um, I don't know that anyone has stood out so much that you would have to say, like, oh, they're the clear cut, mm-hmm. you know, favorite going in the AFC championship. I would concur with that because. Uh, I watched a bit of that Broncos-Bengals Monday night game, and mm-hmm. uh, the Broncos looked terrible in the first half. Bengals looked terrible in the second half. That seems to um, be the, the theme, yeah. Patriots uh, obviously lost their last two games of the year, as you pointed out, with the, uh, uh, the, the line problems. The Chiefs are coming in on a hot streak, but uh, I, I'll be honest, I have not seen the Chiefs play very much this year, so I can't tell you um, how good they are. And, you know, the Texans are 9-17, and 17, you know, arguably don't belong in there. And then you have your Steelers, who um, clearly a won when they needed to at 10-16, always play tough. But you have, uh, I'm sure you're still having traumatic nightmares about, no, not losing to Baltimore. Oh, um, my God. Okay, <laughs> no, first it, of all, it, it, it's really funny that you would bring that up because um, one of the first things that you as a Steeler fan get to do um, once you're in the playoffs and Baltimore is out is that you get to then email, text, whatever, tweet, you know, go to their Facebook pages of Ravens fans who, when they won earlier in the year, you were like, oh, well, congratulations on winning your Super Bowl. You suck. Um, (laughs) Then you can actually do it. You can actually go back and be like, oh, what are you guys going to be doing on Saturday? Oh, watching our game. Things like that, see. Because they're out. so and, and, and that's an enjoyable thing for us to have to do. I, I will say that. Like I said, in the years where we didn't have, like, none of my friends had anybody who made the playoffs, we actually, like, put all the playoff teams in a hat, and you had to pick out, and then that was your team. And you had to cheer for them. That's Just to practical. make it interesting. <laughs> like, if the Giants aren't there, the Steelers aren't there, we're like, well, well, hell, okay. We'll just put them in a hat and pick one. Um, and one year we even put money on it. Like, even though it was a blind pick, cause you know, to make it interesting. Suicide you gambling. Know? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was suicide gambling to keep us interested, you know? And, and again, I love football. I can watch it without all of that. I've never actually bet, bet on any type of sport because I don't, other than horse racing, um, because I think that it deludes the sport, but you know, 
for me, this is a great time of the year to see some good football usually. Um, but, of course, as a Steeler fan, I go into this with nothing but fear, trepidation, and, <laughs> and a significant amount of Tums in the house and, of course, booze. I was going to say, the, the skeptics might say, well, why are you, why are you such a, a diehard football fan? Then you say, because I enjoy it. Because I love it. No, and that's the thing is they're on and my blood rushes and the adrenaline rushes and nobody loves the Steelers more than me. But I, I, I am I, – I don't know that I'm the typical Steeler fan, but I think that I lean right up against the typical Steeler fan um, in the sense that there's just that consistent fear of loss. Um, and you, and you, and I believe, don't get me wrong. I believe like this team has put itself together, like little skeleton crew that it is, but there's also as a fan, you know, this is really the best time of the playoffs right before they start kind of like preseason. You can kind of enjoy it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're there, you made it. The season is not a failure. Nothing went terribly wrong. Here's hoping that Jazz Shaw actually doesn't cut me off on the horseradish <laughs> front. Um, cause he's also, as you guys know, a Jets fan. Um, but other than that, yeah, like I'm feeling pretty good. Feeling like this is good now. You know, talk to me Saturday. Might have a different conversation coming up. I will be honest with you in the sense that I am feeling that we have a good shot going into this game this weekend, uh, come what may, as long as we show up and actually, you know, play. And uh, that that can be something that can be a real issue. So, you know, obviously football is, has been all-consuming for me for the last several weeks, as with you, really, um, even though you've barely spoken to me. I, I'm not saying why, listeners. I'm just saying he has, you know, <laughs> his moments. Um, but you have had the opportunity to finally go and see this the Star Wars movie, The Force Awakens, not once, but twice. So we're going to talk about Jim Garrity's opinion of all of that. Some spoilers, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, Jim, you're going to have to let us know if there's a spoiler alert next next segment as we open it up. But we'll be talking about Star Wars, The Force Awakens, with the one and only Jim Garrity. I am Mickey White, and you are listening to The Jim and Mickey Show. What you're about to witness is one of the most sinister-sounding intros to a trailer to one of the greatest epics ever produced in the history of television. We now return to our regularly scheduled program. Now, back to the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Mickey White, along with Jim Garrity, and we were just getting into the number one movie of almost all time now. Probably by the time this broadcast, it will have actually reached some type of astronomical level. Star Wars, The Force Awakens. As you guys know, as listeners, and if you're new to the show, um, let me explain to you that my co-host, while he will never be the number one fan of Star Wars probably in his world, and he can explain that, um, he is the number one fan of Star Wars that I know. And he actually got to see it before it even opened. Special guy, our Jim Garrity. Yeah, well, the, the night before. So let's say it was not like it was, you know, an enormously. Uh, but it was the special. Screen. Yeah, I mean, that was the that was the week everybody got to see it, Mister Fancy. Uh, and so let me just clarify. So, Mickey, you are, I believe, the last person on the planet who has not seen Star Wars. Yes, I haven't seen it. <laughs> I don't know how long it'll be before I see it again or see it. So, yeah, I might be the last person for a while. I heard in the news, by the way, that uh, this week it will beat Avatar and become the all-time American grossing movie release. It's at about three-quarters of a billion dollars now with lots more to go. 
That is amazing and, to me. I mean, just a, absolutely, it's phenomenal, really, for the for the economy. It's phenomenal for the film industry, and it, I think it teaches many, many lessons. But what did it teach you, Jim? Yeah. Um, you know, the last segment we talked about the disappointment of the Jets not making the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. This is the exact opposite of that. Oh, should is, we warn yeah. people like there will be spoilers? Nah, everyone's seen it, but you. Yeah, like if if you really if you really care about this movie, I guess it's not really a spoilers because everyone else has seen it but me. So no spoilers so. for me. There will be spoilers for me. I just don't care about them. Continue. <laughs> it's been out for three weeks, right? If you really care about it, it's, so, it's if not you like it's really not cared, you would have seen it the night it opened. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah. So here, let me tell. So uh, it's a really good movie. Yeah. It is really satisfying, really fun. Not a perfect movie. Uh, I'm sure you know people can. People are going to nitpick it. I'm going to. The, the one argument I keep hearing people say, "Well, it feels a lot like the first movie, uh, Star Wars from 1977." It feels kind of derivative of that. Wasn't that the point? Well, I, I was going to say I kind of feel like, and again, this, I feel I'm going to have to translate this into non geek ease uh, for you, Mickey. It, you know, it, if you didn't have a climactic lightsaber fight at the end. If it didn't have a big space battle at the end between you know starfighters flying around and shooting each other, mm-hmm. if it didn't have a scene of a bar or restaurant or gathering of lots of strange-looking aliens, if the heroes weren't plucky, right? The, like, That's like, what you want, are, right? Yeah, this is what makes it Star Wars. And, okay. and so, if you mess around with that too much, um, obviously the fans would not have been so so satisfied with it. So I kind of feel like to object to the, oh, if it, it follows the template. Well, look, every movie has a certain kind of pace to it and a style to it and a building of it. I think probably this had one of the most enjoyable – one of the things that impressed me about it, Mickey, everyone had heard. They brought back Harrison Ford. They brought back Carrie Fisher. They brought back uh, Mark Hamill playing Luke Skywalker. Where is uh, here's the thing. So where's Luke turned out to be a much bigger question. In fact, I will spoil for you the first four words in the opening crawl, those yellow letters that float off into infinity. The first four words are Luke Skywalker has vanished. Ah, and from so that's right, a key part of it. Well, right, there you go. And for right from there, all of a sudden, like, you know, so everybody, okay, we're going to see the movie. It takes place, you know, 30 some years after the last you know, movie we saw, Return of the Jedi. What's 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 happened to our characters? And all of a sudden, J.J. Abrams, with his first words, gets your attention. Oh, it's 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 a bigger question than you you know than you even thought. Nobody knows what happened to him. Right? Where did he go? Why did he leave? You know, it kind of paralleled Mark Hamill's otherwise showbiz career. <laughs> yes, Mark <laughs> Hamill has vanished as well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, so he he begins with that. He grabs you with that. And what's kind of interesting, people kind of figure, you know, oh, all of these movies revolve around a MacGuffin, right? A MacGuffin is Hitchcock's word for the, the object that everybody in the film is trying to get. Uh, in the first You've Star been Wars. reading way too many film reviews, and let me stop you. <laughs> okay. Because you're, you use MacGuffin, and I swear to God, if you use a Mary Sue, I'm going to cut you. <laughs> like that little video on the Facebook page, Jim. She's yeah. going to smack I can discuss you. whether she's a Mary Sue, but go ahead. <laughs> no, but uh, for our listeners, these are stereotypical, or actually archetypal yeah. um, characters that exist in Hollywood. And one of the things that, that has annoyed the sh- out of me <laughs> is that all of you waited all of this time to go see this movie. Mm-hmm. I would say 85 to 90% came out and couldn't wait to run back to theaters to see it again. 
True, true story. Every single one of you that I know was like really happy with the what they were able to do with the characters that you loved. To me, that's fantastic. But then there's like this 15% of people who want to break down this movie and try to make it more than just like an entertainment movie. And the Mary Sue and and the other tropes that are out there have have been coming up because of some of the characters, Ray, etc. Here's the thing. Is it a good movie? Yes. Do people seem to enjoy it? Apparently very, very much. Don't get caught up so much in what it means and just go and have a good time. And it's blowing my mind um, that some of these kids that weren't born to have seen it in the theater the first time and, like, have that full effect are are very, you know, oh, I really hate this. Like, this is just, like, what happened in the movie in 1977, <laughs> except for it's not, because I can tell you this. All of the special effects are better, and there's a certain amount of, just like we talk about people and other things, there's a certain amount of romanticized attachment. Mm-hmm. To those original Star Wars, that if you walked in the theater today, I'm not sure it would have given you the same, you know, goosely bubbles, etc. Absolutely, it's all about the and age so group. So you have to take it as a separate piece of work, and it sounds to me like they did a really good job. Like I, I haven't seen it. I don't know if I ever will, but it sounds like they what? did a really good job. For the, <laughs> I know. I knew Do I have to drive to Richmond and say, "Hey, let's go to the movies and drive"? Yeah, you know, like, like, what will it take you to get you like? People. Oh God, you're serious. Uh, yeah, you. You know what? That's a great <laughs> idea. You should totally come to Richmond and take me to the movies to see Star Wars. That's right. Jim Garrity and Mary Sue go to the theater. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So to get in, you you argue about a lot of uh, nitpicking. I think some of this is the you know social justice warrior, political correct crowd looking for something the picking to of complain nits. about in this one. Um, one thing I will note is if at any point the audience feels like it doesn't understand what's going on on the screen, that's where you run into troubles. And I think J.J. Abrams looked at the example of the prequels, a controversy over taxation of trade, you know, the idea of watching lots of space senators argue, you know, galactic C-SPAN. And he decided we're going to go completely in the opposite direction. To the point where... God, I'm so glad I didn't watch those first three movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this is how liberty dies, to thunderous yeah. applause. Yeah, it's just the Jar Jar <laughs> filibuster scene really needed to be cut. Um, so, so did Jar Jar, come to think of it. But anyway, um, the, the pr- slight problem with this one, and it's, it's just a minor flaw. This movie really gets into there are good guys, there are bad guys. And at one point, the bad guys go off, and it looks like they destroy the, like the the galactic capital. And it, I'm like, oh wait, is that Coruscant from those first movies? Apparently, it isn't. It's not really clear to say where what, what you know where's the Republic? How much? How, how does the First Order tie into the Empire? Clearly, they're an extension of it. Oh my um, God, this is not CNN. This well, is a movie a review, like, so I'm right, going to need the, you. No, here's why it matters. All right? Who are these people? How much <laughs> of the Republic is left? Yes. No, this is a big deal. All right, so here's, here's why it matters. So 1983, you know, Return of the Jedi, we see our heroes triumph. The second Death Star is destroyed. Darth Vader is killed. The Emperor is killed. Everybody is celebrating and dancing in the Ewok village. That is, a, that is a, you know, probably the most momentous, happy ending for our characters. I the Ewoks. Yeah, there you go. Oh, I like the Ewoks. They were cute. Within 30 years, our heroes are not in a good place. And really, in a big question is what has happened in those 30 years. That's really the big, you know, one of the big mysteries of the film. 
tying very much into what, where did Luke Skywalker go? What happened? I and- love this for Star Wars fans, and I mean that. Um, all of my friends are not like me. Um, many of them have seen it already, and seeing them get so excited about it was actually one of the funnest parts of leading up to it in the sense that I can't remember the last time I've I've had anyone that excited like to see a movie. And obviously in your world it's like a whole different level. Do you can you you know for our listeners who don't know, Jim has a very special Star Wars friend. <laughs> my uh my other good, my good friend, uh, also named Jim, is part of the 501st, the group that dresses up in costumes and goes to children's hospitals and things like that. He was the one who got me the invite to the uh, uh, the, the preview. Great guy, uh, you know, great guy, and uh, we are, our kids are the same age. So, so we does all that mean he is a stormtrooper? Because you told me that the other night or whatever, whenever we discuss it, when is he a stormtrooper? Then he has several costumes, Mickey. Oh, the, uh, and so here's the with with the 500 and for this group that gets together, that way they can show up. They don't have like four Darth Vaders, right? They they arrange who's going to be Darth Vader, and everybody else has their other costumes that they can be. So, uh, um, right, because you can't have more than one Vader. Well, it would be kind of, that'd be weird. It'd be like the Rocky Horror Picture Show where you get twelve Professor Frankenstein's or whatever. Right, you only get one. <laughs> you get one Darth Vader as to not confuse the children. Yeah, the the idea that you know you're going to have. If you're, if you're going to dress up as superheroes, you wouldn't want to have three or four Spider-Mans all running into each other. <laughs> Certain characters, like the Stormtroopers, you can have multiple guys all in the same outfit and stuff. That's so, a great guy to know. And they go out to hospitals. I bet kids love that. So that's fantastic. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm glad Arch that you had parades, a good time. But you know, thus, that, that will always make you kind of like the second biggest Star Wars fan yeah. that I've ever met. We had Stormtroopers uh, in my movie theater here in Houston. We had them. I went on the second night. I'm sure they were there on the first night, too. We even had a big... Did they allow them to wear their heads? We, <laughs> they had helmets. We even had and, a big... And not only that, Mickey, because of te- it's Texas, they were allowed to open carry their blasters. <laughs> <laughs> we even had a big, fat Stormtrooper. The guy was my size, and he had a uniform that was specially made for the big, fat Stormtrooper. <laughs> there you go. Commitment. That's Aren't you a little right. fat for a stormtrooper? Yeah, like, you don't have to go through stormtrooper training, apparently, just to get the costume. <laughs> you know, it's it's not like there aren't fat characters in Star Wars. You know, there's this, you know, he could he could play Java. So. <laughs> anyway, you stop. <laughs> you um, stop now. So, but I, it seems to me, like as odd as it sounds, the thing that I see most often as people being dressed up is a stormtrooper. Like, yeah. of all the things to be, um, for whatever reason, everybody wants to be part of the evil army. By the yeah, way, Jim, here's the other thing. Sorry, go ahead. I have one spoiler for you that isn't going to ruin it for Mickey if I contain You're myself not to ruin the it for me anyway. Go tiniest ahead. little bit of information, and that is Harrison Ford has signed for episode eight. Only if you've seen the movie do you know the significance of this. Yeah. Now, obviously, there's you know, there's lots of ways that a character who would appear to not be in that, you know, who shouldn't be there can be there. And, you know, flashbacks, dream sequences. The, um, you're giving it away. Yeah, Cut it here, out. Here, right, Dave, you ready? All right, so you think you got it. I've got something. Do you know who played the stormtrooper who uh, refused to loosen Ray's bonds? I know. I do, too. That would be Daniel Craig, James Bond. Bing, 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 bing. We have a, a winner. Cameo. All right. Even I knew that. Oh, okay. But you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> I know, but I've read everything there is to read on it because, you know, that's what I do. No, and it's, more it, well, it's my understanding that Simon Pegg also has a unattributed role. 
I'm aware of that as well. All right, so there we go. You can't out-geek the geek, right? <laughs> uh, all right, so we have uh, – I could do the entire show about Star Wars, and I'm very tempted to, but uh, we've gone from making a galaxy and rebooting a, a franchise to making a murderer right after that. The president has a big stick, I promise you. You jackwagon! It certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? At Wendy's, we serve a hamburger we modestly call the single. And Wendy's single has more beef than the Whopper or Big Mac. At Wendy's, you get more beef and less bun. Hey, where's the beef? I don't think there's anybody back there. You want something better. You're Wendy's kind of people. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey's sometime, like literally in the past 48 hours. I have gone from not hearing anything about this this uh, making a murderer show to all of a sudden it is everywhere and people are screaming at each other about it. So as a making a murderer uh, rookie, walk me through what this show is and why everyone feels so passionately about it. Okay. Um, this show is a documentary style um, and I feel like it's fair to say that because you know it, they, they don't like calling it a documentary because they feel like it you know leads to certain conclusions. I don't know. I felt like they did a really good job of balancing it back and forth, but it studies the case of Steve Avery and Brandon Dassey and the murder of Teresa Hobbock. And what is what makes this story, I guess, unique and interesting is that Stephen Avery was convicted in 1985 for a rape he did not commit, but he served um, 18 years for it. Mm-hmm. And was released on DNA evidence. He then proceeded to sue the county and the state and was on his way to winning it. He, you know, a lot of things going on there. And in the middle of this lawsuit, he magically gets arrested for murder. Mm-hmm. And there are those that would tell you that he is guilty of sin. Um, I have had people from, you know, Wisconsin, from that county, contact me for my own opinions on it. I I know that I've been ratted out to you um, (laughs) by some people. And here's the thing. One, don't talk to Jim about things I've said, for God's sake, please. (laughs) You know better. And two, the reality of the situation, there is absolutely no way that you can watch that and watch the videos. Because the thing that's disturbing people is... There's a people are like, is it scary? Yes, it's freaking terrifying. And it's terrifying because it shows you how easy it is to get convicted and how hard it is to get out. And you want to believe in our justice system and you want to believe in those that work in law enforcement. But this raises all of those core questions at a gut level. And if you're someone like me, who is obviously, you know, I, I cling to my bill of rights, as you well know, um, tighter than most. And I'm, I'm very serious about protecting them, whether they affect me or not. And in the idea of being able to, again, you know, throw someone in jail for 18 years who didn't do it, then the exact same officers that were involved in the first case and the lawsuit were the officers that found many of the important clues um, as evidence, they Brendan uh, Dassey has an IQ of 70 or less, yet they have hours upon hours of interviews that to hear the prosecution or you know that side talk about it, 
it's as though he actually described the murders. And then when you actually watch the video, you realize that the police described the murders and this poor child sat there and nodded Mm. and said yes. And you could and they did the push pull with him. He was 16 years old and they'd never had a lawyer present. Then there, then you get to meet the law teams, and you know, you it, there's a certain point. I actually saw somebody tweet out, "Okay, I finished making a murderer. When is my law degree coming?" Because <laughs> it, it's very slow moving at first, and then at the end, it, it you're just so sucked and you can't stop watching it. But there's a lot of depositions, there's a lot of courtroom, and not courtroom drama, but just courtroom procedural stuff. Um, but it's told very well, and. It's told in a manner in which I think the filmmakers got what they wanted. They got our attention because this guy has pretty much reached his own financial rope as far as going you know, back after appeals and also his appeals are tied up. So there's a, in watching it, the only thing that's going to save either, two, either one of these two is public outcry. And I truly, truly hope that that happens. And before I go any further and turn it over to you for questions, I want to say this. Teresa Hobbock was murdered. That is horrible. That is awful. That has, you know, if I feel probably worse for her family than anyone at all because I feel like they got caught up in this mess and they still don't know for sure who actually killed their daughter, sister, etc. Um, how did you hear about this one, Mickey? Well, as you know, I'm kind of into true crime. Huh? I mean, yeah, you're, no, you're true crime. Your true crime uh, uh, diehard fan fandom is is pretty established. I'm curious. About yes, it. and I'd actually seen other versions of this story. Okay. Um, 2020 Dateline, you know, those kind of things. Um, I had never seen it in such depth, and I had never watched the interviews the way that I did, and and, and actually paid as much attention as to it as I did. And I had actually heard about it because people were talking about it so much over winter break. Apparently, everyone but you. Um, watched Making a Murderer over yeah, when Star Wars came out. So. Right, exactly. Um, the <laughs> That's one thing where I, I will was. warn all of our listeners, this is absolutely worth watching for a number of reasons. Um, not the least of which is, you know, remembering that you do have rights under the Constitution and you should use them as often as possible. Um, but do know that you will probably need to set aside approximately 10 hours from when you start watching it to when you're going to be able to stop. Mm-hmm. It is, it is truly a binge guzzling show. You just keep going. <laughs> um, does any part of you, as I'm looking at this, I see the prosecutors complaining that the uh, documentary series left out crucial facts. Do you feel like you got the whole story from it? Or when you come out of it, did you feel like, oh, wait a second, you know, they're, they're, you feel like you were being led to a particular conclusion? You know, interestingly enough, I went into it assuming that the – the filmmakers were going to lead me to a specific conclusion. That's usually the point of a quote documentary, whether you want to say yeah, that you don't or make, not. You don't make a documentary about a topic you're not passionate about. That's right. Much right. And so um, I felt like, but what's great is at the end, the reality is at the end, there are still questions. And that's the part that makes people very ill when they watch it. There are, and what the prosecutor's coming out and saying now is fascinating to me because it's several different versions of his story mixed together. Um, but all of the, quote, new evidence is based on a statement by Brendan um, Dassey and by, quote, evidence found by county sheriff's department. So all of this, quote, information we didn't see probably would have actually just resulted in me picking my TV up and throwing it out the window. Huh. 
Like, I don't feel like that would have helped the prosecutor's case at all, having seen how the other, quote, confessions and evidence were obtained. I feel like if I had to watch one more minute of it, it may have actually caused me to break my TV. <laughs> um, and the other thing also I kind of wonder about, we, we talked about uh, um, the other series, The Jinx, uh, the podcast serial in, in previous editions of our show. Um, I'm always curious about what makes a case capture the public's imagination this way and, and make people care about something either they never heard about. Because um, to use the the words of that infamous Washington Post reporter, uh, you know, saying that Kermit Gosnell was a local, local crime story and it didn't really, you know, didn't really rise to the level of her beat or level of importance. I'm always intrigued by when people say, oh, no, no, you know, if, if you believe, you know, if you're worried about the justice system, you got to hear about this one. This yes. case, you know, you, you must pay. You well, know. And, it, and, it, and it is because he was screwed over by the county for 18 years because they believed he. And, and that's the thing is it all goes back to the original case. And, you know, again, without giving away all of the spoilers, you can read about all of it online. It's not about what you already know about the story. You need to watch it and make decisions for yourself because there's a certain it gets you in the gut, Jim. It, it's one of those moments where you realize if that were my child or if that were me or if that were someone that I knew and I loved and this was happening to them and there was literally nothing you could do. Um, it, it It's unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. And so I encourage people to watch it. I think um, Gabriel Maller um, is someone who I appreciate a great deal. And is known for saying something that I, I say all the time, something that I picked up years ago from my Discovery ID. It teaches you many things in watching Making of a Murder. The number one thing is don't talk to the police. Huh. Um, always assume you're being recorded. And, you know, trust no one. Because if you've been accused of something from that point forward, they are going to be trying to point it in your direction. Mm. The burden of proof situation is what this story is all about. Do we still as a country believe that the burden of proof lies on the state? Or have we gotten to the point now that because of the court of public opinion, a.k.a. OJ, that the decision is made before the jury is even seated? Mm. And that's the crux of this. Um, the, the, like I said, taking away someone's liberty is not something to take lightly. And I think that's why this particular story gets people right in the gut. And especially those of us, like I said, who happen to be really big fans of not, not, I'm not a law and order conservative. You know, the police are always right. Everything's always good. I tend to see things, as you know, if people are human, they make mistakes. And in this particular case, there were enough mistakes made that the only words that could come out of my mouth were reasonable doubt. Hmm. A fascinating uh, conclusion to take there. Uh, probably as much as I'm endorsing Star Wars, it sounds like you're endorsing making a murderer. I am, and you know, and I'm taking heat, as I said, for it. But you know what? That's why we have these debates and these discussions. Um, I'm a big, you know, I'm a big fan of you know open discussions about these things. But bring your facts if you're coming to my house, because <laughs> you know that I will have them. Um, coming up in the next segment, we're going to talk about some other things that are going on both in TV and entertainment and kind of all around the world that we've been gone for a minute. So I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. And we'll be right back. When it comes to the music of the 90s, anything goes. Right here. 
Living in the 90s, two and a half hours of the coolest songs on two CDs and two cassettes. Check it out! One thin September soon, a floating continent disappears in midnight sun. Hi, and welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show, our very first of 2016. Uh, we didn't really do much of a year in review for 2015 because, well, you lived it. And so I can assume then that you have your own personal favorites of things and worst things that happened in 2015. I'm a forward-looking girl. So I'd rather not talk about 2015. I'd rather look forward to what we've got in the year ahead. And, uh, you know, for me, I'm an even-eared girl. <laughs> and as a rule, yeah, I, I like the even years better as a rule. And, in fact, we've got a leap year. We do. So that makes me happy, too. Um, and, of course, you know, we're going to have the big presidential election coming up in the fall. But there are some more big movies coming out, uh, some very anticipated albums. What are you looking forward to in 2016, Jim? Sure. Um, I'm looking through the Hollywood Reporter's list of the most – 40 of the uh, most anticipated movies of 2016. Um, Mickey, you'll probably be frustrated to see that a lot of them are superhero movies. <laughs> Ah. Um, uh, <clears throat> I see Avengers movies. Yes. Well, okay. It's, Those yeah. will get me out to a theater. Captain America Civil War looks like a quasi Avengers movie. Uh, and then it like, looks like at least half the uh, Avengers cast is going to pop up in it, at least in cameos. Um, it is the two years in which we've had both this movie and the Batman versus Superman movie. Both of them have these themes of heroes <laughs> fighting other heroes. Um, this is a good cue for your heavy-handed political op-ed about the divisions within America. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd also think it's kind of interesting. This might be kind of the year that you're seeing the superhero genre branch out a little bit. Uh, Deadpool, we talked about in a a previous show. I can't uh, wait for Deadpool. Not your typical, you know. See, uh, Deadpool is a movie I want to go see. Okay, excellent. Um, Another X-Men movie is coming out. Um, you know, the sequels, we talked about uh, Star Trek, Ghostbusters with the women. <sighs> um, <I'm intrigued laughs> that says it all right there, folks. When about- he said Ghostbusters with the women, yeah. I, I feel like that should be the subtitle, by the way. <sighs> because it's going to be awful. Um, and, of course, you know, I got the opportunity to break this news to Dave on a previous show. So, listeners, if you didn't get to hear that, please go back and find that one because that was a really gem of a radio interview. Um, but I feel like I get to say it one more time because according to that list, one of the movies that everyone is looking forward to is the remake of The Jungle Book. They have destroyed my perfection. They have ruined the icon of my young life. All right. Let me, let me put this out to you, Dave. Is there any way this could actually be good? No. No. I saw The Jungle Book in Perth, Western Australia at a drive-in movie with my family. I was well under 10 years old. Nothing can ever duplicate, let alone improve, upon that experience. Do you hear me? Nothing! <laughs> Dave, Dave, this one's going to have the voice of Christopher Walken in it. Oh, okay. It's going to be great. <laughs> you should feel reassured. I could have used a little up. more cowbell. <laughs> I put my pants on, just like the rest of you, one leg at a time. Except once my pants are on, I make gold records. I, I'm sorry to 
to bring this upon you, Dave. But, you know, <laughs> I, I feel the pain all the time. Every movie I've ever liked always gets remade into mm. something crap. Well, they ruin um, it, yeah. And, you know, we didn't talk about Point Break, but <laughs> it came out over Christmas. Because we will not speak of it. Because we will not speak of it. It's like Rocky Five. It never freaking happened. Um, but the thing about it is it, it, there were a couple of movies like that that came out and, you know, they all got sucked into the Star Wars tidal wave, if you will. But they're still going to be running into 2016 mm. and still probably not going to go see it. That's not my thing. Um, I, I'm excited because, you know, I've heard a lot about some tours that are coming up with some artists that have not toured in a while. Oh. Always love seeing people on the road. That, And I'm not a big live music person. So if I go and see you on the road, like, you should consider that a huge honor. <laughs> and this year, there's a couple people I actually want to see. How do we tell them? Is there some kind of announcement procedure? Mickey is in road 12. See? I'm not telling you guys anything about where, which music, which music is going to actually get me to go actually to a venue with lots of people and make it be very loud. And I still, there, there are very few musicians in the world that will get me to go to a live venue. Years of working in media, Dave, you will know. I know. I had to it go to all of them. The, it changes your perspective. I mean, I've been to every concert and seen every type of act from you know, classical to hip hop, no joke. Um, I have been at every t- single one of those type of concerts. So to get me excited to go see something, <laughs> like there better be something really special. <laughs> and um, and so there are a couple of things I want to see this year. But I mean, for me, again, I'm a fan of the even years. I find that to be better. Um, I don't I, superstition. I don't. I, I don't really know. I did all my like pork and sauerkraut thing on New Year's Day, so as to have like a good New Year's start. Um, and I'm really looking forward to some of the things that we're doing. I'm looking forward to some of the changes we're going to be making um, on the show over the next couple of weeks and with the format and kind of branching out a bit. Uh, obviously, you guys know I'm excited about my manuscript and getting that out and. Hopefully someone will actually want to publish it. That'd be fantastic. Um, but, you know, I'm looking forward to some of the events that and, and conferences and whatnot that hopefully Jim and I will both be able to be at and maybe even, you know, drag Dave to one of these um, where we get to see our listeners um, because that was probably the best part of 2015 for me was getting out and getting to meet our listeners, those of us, those people that we've met online. And, and I look forward to more of that. For us in uh, in 2016, you plan it. I'll show up. I'm looking forward to it too. Awesome! I will make sure that happens. And uh, and for our listeners, we have a lot of exciting things planned for 2016, including some upcoming promotions. And uh, you know, we're finally at the point where we can really start taking on sponsorships and doing promotions with larger companies. So if you're interested, you know, email me, send me a DM um, on Twitter, and we can talk about it. Hey, Jim. Aside from writing the words "President Elect Trump." In a column, what else are you looking forward to this year? <laughs> I think it just died. Like, I literally found myself speechless. Good job, Dave. You know, um, I, I'll be running that in my own blood. Uh, <laughs> when, when, so it's a, the first year. Don't uh, for it, Jim. No, this is the first year since 2013. I do not have a book coming out, so you do not have me nagging you all the time to buy it. Uh, I would point out that Heavy Lifting and uh, the Weed Agency are both available from Amazon, still available, not in the remainder bin quite yet. Yeah. Um, Mickey, as you're planning your year ahead, I'll just take this moment to let you know and any listeners know, May 19th through the 22nd, 
Louisville, Kentucky, the National Rifle Association's annual meeting is uh, there, and, and it's going to be a – I imagine there will be some good drinking in, in Louisville. In, and, uh, and, of course, late. that's with our friends from Cam & Company. Cam Edwards is the rock star there that week, um, as he is all the time, but certainly – in that era. So a big shout out to NRE News um, and our friends over at Cam and Company because they will all be a part of that as well. Uh, CPAC 2016 uh, is going to be in its usual spot at the uh, Washington Harbor, March 2nd to the 5th, right in the middle of primary season. Uh, so you may see everyone looking sleep deprived. Uh, mm-hmm. A whole bunch of 2016 speakers uh, are there. Whether or not they're still running for president is another story <laughs> by that point. Um, so those are, those are two of the And right things. online is uh, between the two of them in April. Sounds right to me. Uh, yes. And, then and that's put on by as Americans for Prosperity, for those of you who don't know. Yeah, AFP is usually good for a couple of good uh, mm-hmm. good ones. Yeah, there if you can get to a local one of those, those are really interesting. Um, so there's all of those uh, uh, big events coming up this year. I, I look – it's going to be a busy year work-wise, uh, and I got to say, you know, we'll see how the presidential election turns out. It certainly has been tumultuous over the past year. Um, it's also a year of the Olympics. It's it's Rio, right? Yeah. So this is the year where they, they uh, the marathon running away from the gangs it should be terrific. Um, <laughs> Dude, I had forgotten you know, all about now, this. Now the, Swimming see, in toxic sewage, survival. <laughs> this is you know this is gonna be the survivor edition. This what do you think the chances are? Edition. What do you think the chances are of me getting TMZ to allow me to get on and cover the Olympics? <laughs> I don't want you to do that, Mickey. I want you to come back. <laughs> that's a one way ticket. <laughs> but you say Rio, and then suddenly I'm like, yeah, that's what we should be doing instead of the convention. I'm just saying. <laughs> They will have the death squads incarcerated for the duration of the game. So government killing you is not something that's going to happen during the Olympics. Well, Wait, I thought assassination see? squads were being added as a metal uh, as a metal sport this year. <laughs> that might yeah. be. <laughs> Good silver medal goes to oh. We are releasing the dissident, and oh, the gangs are chasing him now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also, for all the other excitement uh, of the year, we were going through the conference, uh, the conferences. We forgot two of the biggest ones, Mickey. I get, I lucky me, I get to see scenic Cleveland and Philadelphia with the National Party conventions in the middle of summer. I lived there for three gathering. years, and I spent a week there one night. There you go. I spent a week there one night. I love you, Dave. <laughs> Swear to God, I love you. Well, you know, you never know where I'm going to pop up, as as Jim will tell you. So. You might see me at one of those conferences in the fall as well, um, or you might, you know, see me in Rio. Who knows? Uh, well, we will be right back. I am Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity, and this is the Jim and Mickey Show. I could have used a little more cowbell. The time has come for someone to put his foot down, and that foot is me. Player. Player. See, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns, and those who dig. You make me want to be a better man. I wish I knew how to quit you. Balls of Fury. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Mickey White, along with my co-host, Jim Garrity. And uh, one of the things that you know always seems to come up this time of year is things that people are giving up as a resolution or whatever. And one of the things I refuse to give up is my guilty pleasures on TV. <laughs> And in many cases for me, as you guys know, that can be reality TV from The People's Couch, which got renewed, which I was super excited about, um, to you know some of the other random things that I obviously watch. Jim, 
You seem to have some what could be considered breaking news. Yeah, I know breaking news. But so, Mickey, here's the surprise. Last night I watched MTV. That seems breaking. I'll, I'll give him a you know, so you're like, wait a minute. They, that channel that used to show you know music videos like two decades ago? You play the guitar on MTV. Uh, MTV, which was the, you know, probably the, the primary incubator of reality TV programming, going back to the real world in the very early 90s to uh, Road Rules and all the various spinoffs they did. You could probably argue that MTV was really the <clears throat> the proving ground for them. Well, last night they debuted this this big, epic, really expensive sword and sorcery uh, uh, series called the Sh- Shannara Chronicles. Not the Shania Twain Chronicles, mm-hmm. the Shannara Chronicles. Um, and I'm not saying this was a great program, but you know what? I, the one word I would use to describe the show, Mickey, mm. expensive. <laughs> oh, all right. You know, lots of location shooting and lots of CGI and, and all that. Stuff. And what, what makes it really interesting is um, it's your the, the MTV, which used to just take, you know, uh, 10 pretty people and put them in a room <laughs> and watch them flirt and fight with each other now is spending oodles of money to make a giant fantasy epic that looks like Lord of the Rings. Wow. Uh, I, I, feel like there's, I feel like we're watching a sea change in program. I'm not saying reality TV is dead. No, I'm because they're still married at first sight out there too, which I love. I love it right. too. I've been watching it. Oh, good for you, Dave. Isn't it great? <laughs> like, I feel like you learn so much, not just about like what you would think you would want to, in a person, but it teaches you about what you need. Absolutely, and people with bad feelings about people end up getting their minds changed as they put in enough time and effort. I thought yeah, that it's it's, it's a very good show, but it can certainly be called uh, a one-off, uh, oh, a flyer in general. Reality TV has gone below the zero level in terms of quality, and Jim, I think that that uh, high value, high cost production on. The father of reality TV, MTV, is definitely a bell ringer of evidence that reality TV is almost done. Yeah, well, yeah, even if it's well, well no, done. it's actually done when they start playing music videos again. <laughs> <laughs> well, weren't, weren't, weren't music videos great? Like these <laughs> little three-minute movies? Well, if only somebody would go back and do that. <laughs> What's Wait, great what is, is they still do them and then they release them on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, no one what? watches MTV like, oh, it's on YouTube. Did you see? It's already been dropped. Blurred lines, right? Uh, the, the Killer <laughs> Swift, uh, the Bad Blood. Oh, like, God. Oh, really God. And we can save this for another day. But listeners and Jim and Dave, there's something that I need to tell you. Better not have anything to do with the Jungle Book. I've been fevered. Oh, uh, no. Oh, uh, this this podcast is over. Oh, 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 oh. You need an intervention. No, you we may need an intervention, but I like his new CD. Well, there was always a risk of this, Jim. <laughs> Call Mr. Bias. <laughs> intervention time. It's time we shut down the show. We cannot allow any more of this to be broadcast. And on that note. This has been a fantastic show, and then she drops that. And now I just, I'm dispirited. I don't want to do it anymore. You know, it's, you've given up. Well, good news, boys. I will have you guys all beavered up for next week. Um, we've got some big changes, as I said, coming ahead for the show this year. Um, some exciting promotions, some places for you to hang out with Jim and I, and hopefully Big Dave will get him out of Texas and up here with us. And uh, so looking forward to all the wonderful things that can happen for us and will be happening for us in 2016, and none of it 
would be happening without you. So thank you so much for listening. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. And you've been listening to The Jim and Mickey Show. We'll be back next week. That's all, folks. You know you love me. I know you care. Just shout whenever. And I'll be there. You want my love. You want my heart. And we will never, ever, ever be apart. Are we an item? Don't quit playing. We're just friends. What are you saying? Said there's another. Now my heart is breaking, but I just keep on saying, baby, 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 oh.